0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. This is everything you need for tips, tricks, and things to just be generally awesome. I'm your host, Amanda. And I'm your host, Claire. And this is RDH Bites. All right, everyone. Welcome back. This is Claire, and we have, I guess, one of our favorite guests to come back. Her name is Vicky. If you remember her, we talked about the muscles of patient expression. So we did that review. I thought that was fabulous. We have Vicky again. She was a former professor and taught for 15 years in been in various publications such as RH Magazine, Dentistry IQ, and I told you the story. That's exactly how I found Vicky by reading her article. I said, "This is wonderful." And Vicky is currently working on being a C provider as well. And I didn't know that you were also a certified CPE instructor. Amazing and. Vicki's married with two children, two grandkids, and three stepchildren. That's a lot. Thank you for being here again with us, Vicki.
1: Thank you so much for inviting me back, Claire. I enjoyed our muscles of facial expression. So we'll Mm -hmm. continue with some more exciting head and neck anatomy. I know. Are are we excited today, though? The topic is, and I'm going to let you say the topic. The topic is salivary glands. I did mention to you, not quite as exciting as muscles of facial expression, but we still need to learn about it. It's very important for our jobs. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think about
0: salivary blends as Zerostomia, xerostomia, obviously,
1: the big word in dental hygiene is So xerostomia. Xerostomia, dry, <laughs> dry mouth. And that's one of the points that I'm going to make today is it is important because we do have several patients who will complain about dry mouth. Each time they come in, it's a very common chief mm-hmm. complaint. So we need mm-hmm. to realize what's going on with those salivary glands to help mm-hmm. make the best recommendations for our patients that we can. And
0: in the boards, you bet there are going to be questions about xerostomia, salivary plants, medical conditions, and pathology associated with all of those. That said, Vicki, what are the different things we're going to talk about today?
1: Well, obviously, we talked about, we touched on xerostomia just a little bit. So saliva, obviously, is an integral component of our oral health, and it has several functions. We know that it lubricates our mouth, but does some other things. It helps to maintain the pH level, It buffers the acid after we have sugar exposure. It does have that immunoglobulin IgA, which is a very common board question, which one of the immunoglobulins is present in saliva, the IgA. So it has some antimicrobial attributes associated with that. It helps with digestion, which we learn about salivary amylase. That's one of the very first things that we learn as far as the digestive process. So it's going to break down those carbohydrates. Mm -hmm. It helps with the mucosal integrity with keeping things moist. It helps with the formation of pellicle, which we know protects the tooth. It helps us to swallow food, which is very important. And Mm -hmm. it aids in our speaking it also remineralizes the tooth structure by providing calcium, phosphate, and fluoride to the tooth mm-hmm. structure. So it has lots and lots of responsibilities for the integrity of our oral cavity.
0: Wow, that was a long list.
1: And <laughs> it's just alive by those all of that. Again, but if that's okay,
0: I would love to just quickly repeat those because again, very important for the examination, too, because this is not just about. Xerostomia, well, Xerostomia lubrication, pH, because if you do not have enough saliva, pH is too low, and we know that is acid attack, and that will decompose basically your tooth structure, washing everything away, sugar exposure, right? Immunoglobulin A, really good point. There's many, many different immunoglobulins, as you see, but A, the most important A like saliva, you see the A in the word saliva, I say to our students, and digestive, you mentioned, how do you pronounce that again? I pronounce it amylase. amylase. Amylase, yes. Knowing that protein and fat, they do not decompose in the mouth, right? They just go down or uh, stomach. But the only one that decomposes in is carbohydrate. And that starts in the mouth and that causes cavity, those carbohydrates. Awesome. And then digestion and related to that, mucosal integrity formation of so that's layer that's protecting the tooth, helping a swallow and remineralizing because the saliva brings, you know, especially in children, the that is circulating systemically in the body. Wow, that was a long list. It is a long list. <laughs> great, great. So anything else you want to share as an introduction to this topic?
1: I will share that when I was working as a clinical instructor... We had one of the other instructors, she was actually the program head at the time, and she was Mm -hmm. in the chair, the student was cleaning her teeth, the student was performing her extra oral cancer examination, and felt a nodule underneath this instructor's chin area, and it was actually a mass that was on her submandibular salivary gland. So, she didn't know it was there, it was not painful, and obviously she had not Calpated that area. So we did send her out to an oral surgeon for examination, and she ended up having her salivary submandibular salivary gland removed on the right side. And the pathology report came back that it was a benign pleomorphic adenoma, which we're going to talk about some of the pathologies in the second portion. Of our chat tonight, but that was an interesting find for a dental hygiene student. And, you know, and it was another, another one of the instructors. So it is important that we have our knowledge of the salivary glands, what can happen, where they're located, and what can go wrong. So that was an interesting day in our clinic, to say the least.
0: You know, you you hear those, you know, actually stories pretty often that a dental hygienist saves someone's life. And in this case, it is as well, even though you know the pathology was a benign one, who knew what this could have been? So first, you know, good work on the student of having good EOIO going on. And, exactly. Uh, yes. Yeah, that is fantastic. So, hey, I know at school when you're doing EOIO, you're like, oh my god, why, why am I spending 15 minutes doing this? See what this is doing. So. Well, tell us,
1: Vicky. then, what are salivary glands? Okay, so salivary glands are actually exocrine glands, and that actually means that they have ducts. And a D-U-C-T-S, not D-U-C-K-S. The ducts, they're actually lined with some stratified cuboidal epithelial cells. That's a little bit of histology thrown in there for you. And the flow of saliva is usually stimulated by something and such as taste smells things like that and it is stimulated by the parasympathetic nervous system so we need to remember the parasympathetic nervous system is opposite the sympathetic nervous system sympathetic is associated with our fight or flight and the parasympathetic an easy way to remember parasympathetic is our rest and digest so that's where it's bringing everything back to normal in the salivary glands obviously are going to assist in the digestion. So that's an easy way to remember which one of the nervous systems are in charge of stimulating the flow of saliva, the parasympathetic.
0: Great, Why? Wow. You know, just to help our students with exocrine versus endocrine, if I can add to that, Vicky is, you know, they, they are both glands, but it depends on are there ducts and where does this go, where the substance go afterwards. So endocrine glands they secrete products, but that goes into the bloodstream. So that's the difference between an endocrine gland and an exocrine gland. In this case, it's a duct and it goes kind of outside, like you see yes. in your mouth. So just wanted to mention that. But thank you for that awesome review. And it helps with fight and flight. When you eat and digest, this is when the saliva is flowing. Totally makes sense now.
1: Yes. Totally makes sense. <laughs> great, great. Those glands, when do they develop? Well, they actually develop six weeks in embryological development. The prodigland is first, followed by the submandibular, which is near the end of the sixth week. And by the eighth week, the sublingual gland appears as a series of small ectodermal, there's another histology term, small ectodermal buds just beneath the tongue. So an easy way to remember how they actually develop is they develop the largest to the smallest. We're going to talk about these individually. So the parotid is the largest, develops first. Submandibular is the second one. And then the smallest of the glands is the last two actually develop. And those are the sublingual glands. Great. Well, in that little bead, I don't
0: know how big a baby is at that point, you already have plans. This is fascinating. Every time is I think about the human development, the three layers turning into a whole human being, like a few cells turning into a whole
1: human being, and how fast it occurs.
0: Right.
1: I mean, week six, you already have those glands. So yes,
0: and eight, going to the eighth. Awesome. And yeah, how does that impact
1: us to know all this? Well, we need to know all this because about 30% of your patients are going to complain about xerostomia. We mentioned that from the very beginning of our chat. It is going to be a very common chief complaint. So when the salivary glands aren't working as they should, we need to be able to apply our knowledge to determine the cause and to provide the patient with information on how to best treat their dental needs. That long list that we went over at the very beginning when, we talk, when they discuss dry mouth and you see everything that the saliva does, it is a very serious concern for patients because they're uncomfortable, they're not getting the lubrication, they're not able to speak, they're not able to swallow. So salivary glands are very important and we need to, again, we need to have, apply our knowledge so that they can get the help that they need to take care of that problem.
0: Wow. Well. That said, we know the why. Let's dive in into the three salivary glands that you mentioned: the parotid, submandibular, and sublingual.
1: Yes, those are the three what we call major glands. So those are the largest ones, and they are considered extrinsic glands because they're outside of the oral cavity. We're going to talk about some minor glands here in a little bit. Minor glands—they're actually between six hundred to thousand of those, and wow. they're in. Yeah, a lot of those. And then they're considered intrinsic because they're actually located inside the oral cavity. So the three major glands, the parotid, the submandibular, and the sublingual, they secrete about 90% of our total saliva. And I mentioned before that usually some type of stimulation causes that. Food, thinking of food, thoughts of food, smells, et cetera. And then the minor glands, which again, there's between 600 to 1,000 of those, they actually have a constant secretion and they have about 10% of our our total saliva secretion. And those
0: minor saliva glands, where are they located? I know there are, for example, the lips,
1: the cheek. Right. The lips, the cheek, the lateral portions of the palate Mm -hmm. near the the soft palate, palatine Mm -hmm. tonsils. Mm -hmm. So they're just dotted around several different places. And again, we're going to talk about about the minor ones after we talk about the three major ones, the big ones. Mm -hmm. And also just to add to that, those minor, the name says minor, they're
0: too small. You can't really see them. The major, they're big enough. When you do dissection, you will see them. So that's the differentiation. So from
1: here, should we talk about the biggest one? Yes, let's talk about the parotid gland. Again, I mentioned earlier that it was the largest one. It is the first one to develop in embryology development. It's largest, but it only secretes about 25% of the total saliva. It's pyramidal shape, and it's located at the preauricular area of the ear. It's bordered superior by the zygomatic arch, anteriorly by the master muscle, posteriorly by the ear and the sternocleoid mastoid muscle, and inferiorly by the inferior border of the mandible. So if you imagine, or if you're able to look at some pictures in your head and neck anatomy book and imagine all of those landmarks, you can see how large it actually is.
0: It's- all right, so kind of, kind of right in front of our ear we're talking about. And when right. you said pure middle, is that the base of the the... You know the bottom part that's pointy or the top part? I think the image. Of, yeah, top. Yes. It's like top part. upside top.
1: down pyramid. Yes. Okay. Awesome. So this one actually has what we call serous secretion. Serous means that it's watery and thin. This is the one that secretes that salivary amylase we talked about, which is also known as alpha amylase, and it has innervation from the cranial nerve number nine which is the glossopharyngeal nerve this one is different than the other two majors that we're going to talk about so that that can be a good possible board question as far as the innervation of nerves for this particular gland so again it is innervated by glossopharyngeal cranial nerve number nine uh, thank you for
0: mentioning that. Because, you know, in the examination, it's all those little details that matter at the end. You know, which one is the largest? It's large in size, but it doesn't contribute to the most amount of saliva. Exactly. Right? Only exactly. 20, 25% or so. And so, yeah, large doesn't mean the largest amount of saliva. So it's really important when you're studying to get, you know, those little details and really carefully. I will tell students really slowly because, you know, we can get confused and it's normal, but, you know, it's the challenge a challenge in front
1: of, of us. <laughs> exactly. It's a lot of information. One of the other main things is that it has a duct that we can actually see when we do that EOIO exam. It's opposite the maxillary second molar yes. and it's called the Stinson's duct. The Stinson's duct, it actually travels Across the front of the uh, parotid gland, and then it pierces the buccinator muscle. We talked about the buccinator muscle, mm-hmm. our last chat. It's one of those mm-hmm. muscles of face, facial expression. And then that Stenson's duct it opens up on the what we call the parotid papilla. And again, all the students have seen that little papilla when they do their E O I O exam. And a lot of times, patients will accidentally bite that, and they'll have some some trauma to that little papilla. Sorry, I
0: have a funny story. When you're mentioning that, when I was starting dental hygiene school, you know, we do clinic almost for the first time in life. And one of my classmates, she saw that, you know, duck, and she freaked out. She thought there was like oral pathology <laughs> because we didn't know better at that point. Right, you know, right. we haven't finished head and neck anatomy. I mean, we barely look at any. It, nobody looks at it, you know, when you're at home. So, you know, when you do EOIO, she's like, oh my God, there's something going on here. And it had to be to be around the maxillary second molar area. Right. And it was just a little protrusion,
1: totally right. normal. So i to... Interesting enough, that parotid stinson's duct, if you think about your supergingival calculus formation, that's right towards where it's going to be. Mm-hmm. It's right there on the buckle of that maxillary second molar. And as an instructor, I used to love what we call milk it. You know, you push on the outside of the parietal gland just a little bit and see that serous salivary flow come right yes. out underneath that papilla. <laughs> Students used to think that was the greatest thing ever. Oh, <laughs> well, I
0: can see that. There's some funny videos out there too that you know, shows like, you know, some people have the very active one. So, you know, you'll have a lot of fluids coming out of it. Yes, exactly.
1: exactly. I do have one tip as mm-hmm. far as remembering. Mm-hmm. I used to use the two S's, the Stinson's duct and the serous secretion. So the two, okay. that's the two S's so mm-hmm. that you can remember. Again, this is for the parotid gland, serous mm-hmm. secretion through that Stinson's duct. Awesome. Do so you see
0: the S? And yeah, one more thing I do for our students is, you know, say the word pass, P-A-S-E, like, you know, pass. And you say that basically is PA for parotid and ST for Stensen together. So when yes. you say pass, remember parotid gland is related to Stensen duct because there are two more ducts that you will have to remember today.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. So we're going to go right into the next gland. I mentioned it when I told my story about the instructor and how she had the nodule associated with her submandibular gland. These are walnut shaped. And these are, even though they're second largest in size, they actually secrete and produce the most saliva, 65% of the total saliva. They have what we call mixed secretion, which means it's both serous, which we've talked about is watery and thin, and mucus, which is a little thicker, a little more lubricating. The submandibular glands are located within that digastric triangle of the mouth and the neck. There's another little head anatomy as far as directional description that we're going to talk about. And it is below the mandible, yet above the hyoid bone. So that's the location of the submandibular gland. If you ever heard of a Staphne's defect, and this is a radiology. We're going to pull a little bit of radiology in with this one. Yes, this is Staphne. <laughs> yes, the Staphne's defect. That's going to be, it's going to be found radiographically. It's radiolucent. And it's actually a lingual depression on the mandible, and it's caused by deficiency in the bone deposition in the area of the submandibular gland. So again, a little bit of radiology associated with that submandibular gland formation.
0: Yes, and I wanted you have been in our summit. So that's for students who are VIP members of ours. We actually talked, I talked about the sapnent defect very, very recently. You will just see literally a depression. That's it the mm-hmm.
1: And it's right where that gland will fit right up next to the inferior border of the mandible, right in that area.
0: Great, great. And just wanted to talk about the positioning of, of sublingual versus submandibular. Submandibular is a little bit more back or posterior compared to the sub. Yes, a little
1: more posterior. So when you're doing that EOIO exam, you come from that angle of the mandible and you right. come forward just a little bit. It's going to be in that area right there. And yes, and I'm just, you know,
0: touching it right now, actually. And, you know, by pressing it, I can already feel like a little sensation here because I'm pressing myself, mandibular gland. So Mm -hmm. thank
1: you for clarifying that. And you said it produces the most salivary secretion, right? Yes, about 65%. You're going to see some different numbers doing my notes for this. I found some different numbers, but the most important thing to remember is that the submandibular, second largest in size, but has the highest total salivary output. So, and then parotid, even though it's the largest, it has uh, the second highest salivary output. So those are just some things to remember. This one has a duct, and this one's called the Wharton's duct. Mm-hmm. And this one actually is at the floor of the mouth at the sublingual papilla, or what you might call the caruncle on either side of the lingual frenum attachment. This is sometimes the one that comes from the bottom, like comes, the bottom of the tongue. Comes from the bottom of the tongue. And sometimes mm-hmm. you're going to be working on a patient. And it's going to look like a little fountain. If you've ever worked on a patient. Yes, and they, it's like squirt. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it squirts up. That's coming from the Wharton's duct of the submandibular gland. This one is innervated by cranial nerve number seven. Again, this one's different. Wow. Remember, parotid is different from the other two major glands. Cranial nerve number seven is the facial nerve. Mm-hmm. And this one is the most common salivary gland to have a silo. Let's talk about that then for a second. Silo. Silo, yes. Now that is just a salivary stone. Right. So the stone that is blocking basically the duct sometimes. Right. And
0: you will see those radiographically. And it's not harmful per se, but better remove that because, again, it is just, you know, not letting saliva flow. You might have inflammation because of that. You might, you know, you might feel something hard, but sometimes you can just find it radiographically. And yes. when that happens radiographically, you know, it's not the bite wings that's going to give you the best idea. You will have to have different positioning for radiograph. So because I guess it makes sense that they're, you know, if I can call them stones, more likely to have those stones because it is the largest of, you know, not the largest in size, but the most secretion, it is the most productive one. So more likely to, I would say, you know, get some mechanical issues once in a while.
1: Good point. Just by the sheer numbers, by the percentage of the output, it is, would be more likely to have that. Great. And then the smallest one is the sublingual gland. Now, Claire, you mentioned the positioning of the submandibular, the sublingual, also in the floor of the mouth area, a little more anterior. These are almond-shaped. And it's almost like if you think about the submandibular, they were walnut-shaped. If you think about the size of a walnut compared to the size of an almond, it's about the same thing. So these are the smallest, and they also produce the smallest amount of saliva for the major glands and this is only about 10 percent I see and the duct associated with the sublingual it is the Barthololin duct mm-hmm. and this also is empties into the floor of the mouth near the sublingual caruncles and through the ducts rivenous the ducts of rivenous are actually 18 to 20 very small ducts that are very small, that empty underneath the tongue. Again, they're the sublingual caruncles. I see. So under the tongue again. And under the I, tongue. I, I'm not sure if we talked about the duct of the
0: submandibular
1: gland. That, that, I don't know that we did. That one is the Wharton's duct. <laughs> yes, yes. So, okay. To
0: clarify against submandibular, I tell our students, look at the M, like submandibular, the M, and then you kind of flip it upside down. That looks like a W. So, for me, when I remember Wharton ducts, I know it's a mandibular, submandibular gland because I see that double or that M kind of flip upside down. And that leaves you with sublingual parotid. It's pretty uh, simple at that point because you know what the parotid was, Stensen, and you know submandibular was Wharton.
1: Yes. And mm-hmm. the sublingual gland, it's actually categorized as a mixed gland. So, it's going mm-hmm. to have serous and mucus, but mainly mucus which is going to provide lubrication this Uh one like the submandibular is innervated by cranial nerve number seven which is the facial nerve all right so facial nerve except for nine on the parotid we got it yes what a great majority those are the three major Uh glands so we can uh i was going to say we could talk briefly about those minor glands that we mentioned before There were a lot of them you talked about where they were located and they're basically located everywhere except for the gingiva and the hard palate. So if you think about that, the minor glands are located in those submucosal areas. You got to have a little room, you know, your gingiva, your hard palate, those are pretty much attached tissue. So you need to have some of that submucosal area for those minor glands. And again, they're they're 600 to 1,000 And these secrete saliva constantly. They're mainly mucus secretions. So those mucus secretions are pretty much for lubrication. And again, that's a very important aspect of what our saliva does. So it is going to lubricate with that mucus secretion. Well, you know, I think something important that I learned as
0: well, I want to emphasize to our students too, is, you know, we talked about the you know the big ones. You know the porosity of sublingual, but let's not forget our little ones, our minor, who are also always actively working to provide us that moisture that we need for many different reasons.
1: Exactly, and they mm-hmm. have some specific locations. Even even though we say they're located everywhere, some of the locations, you know, the labial inside the lips those are again they say that they're mixed secretion but mostly mucus most of these are except I'm going to get to a couple of interesting ones here in a moment the buccal tissues and again doing that EOIO exam you can see you can even see the sheen of the mucus secretions keeping that buccal tissue lubricated and healthy the palatine area but it's the soft palate and the lateral parts of the hard palate so again It is not on the anterior portion of the hard palate because that's very attached tissue. Not a lot of room for that submucosal area. The glossopalatine, which is in front of the palatine tonsils. The lingual, which of course are on the tongue, the anterior portion of the tongue. And then you may have heard about the lingual glands of von Ebner. Another name to remember. They were the only minor glands really to have a name These are unlike the other minor glands in that these actually secrete a serous saliva, serous type saliva, so a little more watery saliva. They have a very important job to do. They're located near the circumvallant and the folate papilla. And what they actually do is they wash off your taste buds so that you can perceive a new taste. Oh, what an interesting story makes sense. I mean, you want to taste well, you better keep cleaning. Those exactly. Clean. So we know that the serous is watery and thin. So that is what these actually mm-hmm. secrete so they can wash off those taste buds mm-hmm. so that we can go from steak to our baked potato. Or if you're vegan, baked potato and salad. And this is from this guy named, he's
0: a histologist. His name is Victor Von Amner. I just looked it up before or recording. Because <laughs> I'm like, I mean, his name must be, you know, Em because Exactly. Know, if so, if you discover something, you can name it after yourself. Right. Forever
1: <laughs> be in a textbook.
0: <laughs> yes. All right. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you for mentioning that. Because yeah, that's that's the only one I, I guess you know we do remember from the minor ones in right. um, now that you have a whole picture of, you know, this is like kind of your car wash. For your salivary or the
1: taste buds. The taste buds, yeah. And then the only other ones are posterior minor salivary glands, which are located around the lingual tonsils, and then the sublingual. These are actually around the major gland of the sublingual salivary gland. So sublingual right. minor glands make sense. They yes. want to be around their big brother, the sublingual major salivary gland. Mm-hmm.
0: makes sense. What a great review. I mean, major and minor, lots of important things. And we haven't talked about what's inside, what's composing
1: the saliva actually. Right. Well, saliva is actually 99% water and the remaining 1% contains proteins, that immunoglobulin A, which we've mentioned, electrolytes, antibodies, and wound healing components. So if you have any kind of intraoral injury, the saliva is actually going to be the first thing to go to that site of injury with those wound healing components to start the repair process.
0: I see. So even though it looks like nothing, it has bacterial, you know, cells, it helps with preventing, you know, not preventing, but help healing already the body in that sense, in fight of anything that is unwelcome the body. So you know, I also write that we every day we secrete about two liters of, of fluid through the mouth every single day. Two liter? Can you imagine? I mean, so a one bottle, big bottle of water that's about one liter, depending on which brand you buy. Right. You're spitting out two of those. day well that's when you're healthy probably and when you have xerostomia you know much much less than that that's what we say rinse as much as you can because you don't have that natural rinse occurring
1: right and Mm -hmm. as a clinician even if your patient does not complain of xerostomia or dry mouth when you're working on those patients your mirror will stick to the buccal mucosa it's, it just does not have that nice lubricated surface texture when you're working. The tongue, your, the mm-hmm. tongue looks, looks dry. Obviously your mirror is mm-hmm. going to stick to the tongue. Your mirror is going to st- stick to the buccal mucosa. So just imagine, even as a clinician, that it's, it's different working on a patient with dry mouth than it is with a patient who is healthy, who doesn't have the xerostomia.
0: Great clinical point here, clinical tip for especially for our students or new grads. It's not just them mentioning our dry mouth. I had that those patients too. When you put the mirror, the mirror kind of literally as you said is stuck, and you kind of have to pull it back out. Well, usually when it's healthy, it's like nice gliding everywhere. Exactly, um, <laughs> exactly. And the
1: and the patient they have no chief complaint of dry mouth, whether it's been that that they've had this forever and they're not used to it or they've had some of the complications we're going to talk about in the second portion of our chat or they just don't realize that they do not have a healthy environment. But as a clinician, we notice it right away.
0: Well, thank you very much. What a wonderful journey through our glands, major yes. minor. Should we try a few questions
1: just so yeah. we can practice together? Sure. We have a couple of questions. The first one is one of those true-false first statement, second statement questions, and it is, the parotid duct pierces the masseter muscle prior to entry into the oral cavity. The Wharton's duct is associated with the parotid salivary gland. So are those both true, both false, first statement true, second false, or first statement false, second true? So again, I'll repeat them. The parotid duct pierces Mm -hmm. the masseter muscle prior to entry into the oral cavity. The Wharton's duct is associated with the parotid salivary gland. Well,
0: I hope you all have the correct answer in your head. Because let's review it together. The parotid duct pierces
1: the buccinator
0: muscle. Exactly, not the masseter. So that was the masseter. Right. Yes. And but the that's second false. portion, Wharton dot. You remember when we say W, you reverse, you put it upside down, it looks like an M. So that one is associated with
1: some mandibular gland. So yes. that one's also false. So the correct answer. answer was both statements are false.
0: Well, I'm sure you got it correct. If not, rewind. This is a podcast. You can listen to it again and again. But after this, I'm pretty sure you're going to do well if you see a question similar to that in your examination.
1: Yes. Ray, should we try one more question? One more. Okay, mm-hmm. we've talked a lot about xerostomia. Xerostomia affects all of the following except... So xerostomia is going to affect three of the four. Which one does it not affect? Digestion, tooth protection, mucosal integrity or antigen production? And again, xerostomia affects all the following except one. Which one? Digestion, tooth protection, mucosal integrity, or antigen production? All right. Great question. It is. It is. I see see it. I I hear it. I'm
0: like, there's a little trick over here. And that's reflecting of how the questions are, you know, in your soil examination, also in your board examination, there's those little things in there that really makes the whole difference. So let's just discover it together. Vicky, what is the answer?
1: The answer is D, antigen production, because mm-hmm. we know that saliva has immunoglobulin IgA, which is an antibody, not an antigen. So it's an antibody Blood protein that is part of your immune system. IgA is a type of antibody to help fight off pathogens from within the oral cavity. It is not an antigen, even though a lot of times we know that wound healing response, we talk about the antigen antibody reaction. So the antigen mm-hmm. was a distractor yes. in that particular question. So yes. the IgA is an antibody. Look at that the <laughs> <See, laughs> antibody
0: versus antigen you know it's very very small and especially when you're rushing you know when you feel nervous you're more likely to potentially make a mistake so please build a habit of looking at those little things and just taking your time i almost never hear students saying i failed my examination because i didn't have enough time time is on your side and just yes. take it slow thank you that That's- was an excellent question Thank you. You're welcome. Well, that said, Vicki, I think you have been letting us know that we have a part two. So we're wrapping this up, knowing kind of the basics. The, you have the basic knowledge of the parotid glands and the submandibular, sublingual, and minor. in in our step two or second episode of those glands, we're
1: going to talk about pathology. Is that what's going to happen? Celebrate gland disorders. Some pathology some actually diseases associated with mm-hmm. those salivary glands so we're mm-hmm. going to we're going to discuss both of those all right so that's
0: it you're going to follow us with the next episode thank you again
1: vicky for being
0: with us today
1: thank you i've enjoyed it so much again mm-hmm.
0: and we'll see you really
1: soon i hope so <laughs>
0: all right bye bye hey everybody This is your co-host, Amanda, with a quick announcement. Have you looked at our VIP package yet? This has everything you need to help pass your national board exam. Whether you live in the United States, Canada, or really anywhere, our VIP package has something for everybody. We have recorded lectures, live lectures, curated and calibrated content made just for you to help you pass. Visit us today at studentrdh.com to sign up and for more information.
1: See you next time.